Before we get started with the show today, I have a quick shout out for a listener who donated to us on PayPal. Thank you so much to Jennifer Dowdell for her donation of $25. We really appreciate your support. If you would like your own shout out on the Messy Studio Podcast, please go to www.messystudiopodcast.com and click the donate button. It's a yellow button in the upper right hand corner. And there you can set up a single time donation or a recurring monthly donation for any amount. So once again, that's www.messystudiopodcast.com. And it's the yellow donate button in the upper right hand corner. On with the show. Hello and welcome to the Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are talking about the voices of experience. If you've ever had a really good art class, whether in school or a workshop, you probably remember important things that the instructor said to you things that were emphasized or their overall teaching philosophy. These positive ideas and words have the power to shape our studio practices for our entire creative lives. For today's episode, we invited some art instructors to share some of their insights and approaches to teaching with an emphasis on how they motivate or inspire their students to find their own direction. With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. It seems like a nice time to talk about teaching, um, especially we're in the middle of the pandemic right now, and most of us uh, that would normally either be teaching or going to workshops or classes as a student, we are not doing that right now. So I started thinking about um, how those words have staying power that we, we've we heard in our lifetimes. And from my own perspective as an art instructor, um, it's, I have to say teaching is a work in progress um, over the years. Uh, and I've been teaching workshops now for 10 years. Um, I started to, I've, I just over time gradually shaped my own way of teaching and my messages that I give people in order to be more supportive of my students and more challenging as well. So I feel like it's grown as I have grown. And I think most instructors would, would say the same. It's and I just want to say just a word about teaching art. Um, I think the best art instructors have a lot of experience. Uh, when you're looking for workshops to take, looking for somebody who who has walked the walk, you know they they know what it takes to find a meaningful path because they've done it, and it's what they want for their students. They want their students to find a good way of of learning and making art. And inexperienced instructors, um, it's it's problematic because a lot of times it's that they've come up with something that works and they have their own way of doing it and they've figured that out. But what that results in is kind of a formulaic way of teaching because they know what's true for them, but not necessarily how to help other people find what's true for them. Um, and I think that teaching to individuals, which is the best way to teach art means being able to understand something beyond your own approach. And and that said, I mean, students absolutely need information. They need tips. They need solid knowledge. But it's not one size fits all. It goes beyond um, beyond some really basic stuff into a wider uh, context. So um, with that little intro, and I thought, well, what are 
what's going on with teaching? Um, I, I know people that teach. I know they're wonderful teachers. What do they tell their students? How is this um, it, it, how is this interesting for myself and for people that take their workshops or their classes? So I, I wrote to some people I know and um, asked them about their own teaching approaches and advice and uh, things that they emphasize to their students. So that's what we're going to share today. Um, and the first two people that I'm going to quote from or talk about did respond in terms of our current situation in the pandemic. But I think this has wider implications because what it's really saying is we respond to what's happening to our own personal experience. We want to bring that into our work. And for a lot of people right now, that is the COVID crisis. So the first thing I'm going to share with you um, is actually uh, excerpted from a blog post by the California artist, Sarah Post. And she is um, a well-known workshop instructor. She works in cold wax and um, other media. And uh, so she wrote this which I'm going to read to you and could also apply to other times of personal trauma. She said, I think feeling stunned or blocked by the depth of change we are living through is a signal to be kind, to keep working, and to allow ourselves to work as we can. That may mean starting small, using ordinary materials to draw simple lines or shapes. Perhaps it is enough to paint flat colors across a page. It's a beautiful practice, sitting quietly or filling sketchbooks, breaking rules, and that, that's in quotes, rules, by combining odd materials and letting the work breathe by refusing to judge or evaluate it. This exercise is beginner's mind. An experience will take you far from your ideas about what art should be. There are great gifts, often not immediately apparent, that come from not knowing, but only being willing to try. And I think those words um, where she's describing this open-mindedness, this experimental attitude um, is a valuable teaching lesson for any time. And she, she concludes it by saying, a, a very few artists may have been quick to digest all of this. Their work is taking off. Studio time is productive. But for most of us, all this will take time. In the future, we may better understand the unthinkable events we are experiencing now, and we'll be ready to make art from those experiences. That time does not need to be now. For most of us now is the time to open our senses, to feel the moment, to rise to meet it. It is a time to relax into our art, to be with our art and with ourselves in ways as simple and direct as need be. And again, she's she's talking about this, this personal experience um, being so important to your own work. And... Um, I think that's a, a really good message for now and for always is being tuned into yourself, um, being responsive to that and um, kind of changing your, your art experience to do what you need to do. And she's a very open-ended instructor, I would say, to present that message. And her ideas about being experimental and, and being uh, open to just you know, whatever comes to you uh, is an is an important teaching point. I think. Yeah, I, I think that she had two really important things that she said there. Um, she there was one thing that I I picked up on where um, she was she was talking about kind of working outside of the bounds of rules, and um, I I think that right now we're very confined within rules, and it, it can be very freeing to push boundaries where we can and where we are able. Mm, and yeah. 
in a a situation where we're so where there's so many rules we have to follow in our daily lives, it, it's very nice to be able to to do something um, where you're not so concerned about. Oh rules. yeah, good point. Yeah. Um, and so I think it can just be very like emotionally helpful to do that to to challenge things where where we can when and how we're able. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing that that she said was that there are artists who are be being very successful in their in their studios right now and being very productive. Um, and this is a time when um, if it, if you're able to, there's there's a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of potential to to build something new and to launch a new project or or do something new that can be very very uh, helpful for you in the future going forward. And it's this is a great time to lay that groundwork. Yeah. Um. So I I think that those are those are two things that I would like to to add that I found very. Um, insightful about her her blog post, right? There. And it's it it really speaks to the moment, but it's it's also good advice overall. I think so. Um, right? Yeah. So the the next person I wanted to mention is Denise Presnell, and and she is her background is as a college instructor. She's been teaching college for thirty two years, so lots of experience. She is currently working with students um, doing distance learning on a project, and so. You know, she's not in the classroom right now because of the pandemic. Right. And she's a friend of the show. She is. And so uh, so Denise decided to assign her students um, to do a personal response to their current situation in the pandemic. And this is kind of gets to the point, again, of responding to what's going on around you and and seeing it in a personal way though she she was asking them to come up with symbols uh, for the current situation and so she was including their personal experience but also setting some parameters and boundaries I mean this is a, a college assignment um, but I think the idea of setting some parameters can sometimes be very helpful um, if you want to focus on a particular experience and what she was really asking the students to do was to find, objects or images that were symbolic to them of whatever they're feeling or going through right now. And the the idea of using symbols is really interesting. And these do not have to be recognizable symbols to anyone else but yourself. And they could even be abstract symbols. Uh, but it's kind of a portal to your personal expression and connecting yourself very meaningfully with your work. So she just offered up this exercise that she's doing with her students right now, but that's kind of my takeaway from it was that asking them to connect as personally as possible to this universal experience that's going on right now. Um, and the next person that I uh, connected with is my friend, Allison Cook, Allison B. Cook. And she also has been a college instructor uh, at college level for 35 years. So again, someone with an enormous amount of experience. And she just kind of reflected back on things that were important in her own teaching. And the thing that um, I think stands out about her response to this is engaging with new ideas. Uh, She quoted Picasso saying, uh, he said, inspiration exists, but it has to find you working. So it's trying to get people to really um, engage with a lot of things and then be open to where that's going to lead them. And she said that she found the most um, difficult thing for students was 
trying to invent things out of nothing, you know, out of kind of thin air. So giving some guidance. And she said, whenever I gave them conceptual parameters or pushed them into unfamiliar territory with new media and techniques, they became way more engaged and created personal and compelling work. Um, and so there's this, again, this idea of being very open, being very experimental, and and allowing these um, ways of working, these forms of working, to open up ideas. And so you don't always have to start with the idea, I guess, is the point, but you can explore and it may come to you. Um, and she uh, gave me an example of something more specific. She said um, she would often show a lot of artwork created throughout time, so from different um, periods of art history, coming at one idea from many directions through artists of all diversities working in a range of media. I thought of this as a sort of springboard for invention on their part. Um, this is a theme I've seen in other instructors. I do it myself um, to try to get students or whoever's in the class, um, whether they're adults or college students, to really understand more about art history. And it's not a dry topic. It's just, it's so fascinating. And you, it really enriches um, how you see your own work. And it enables you to pull ideas from different time periods together or different things that you're interested in uh, to synthesize ideas. So she, this is important in the way that she was teaching. And then she said, um, she did some, usually some exercises that came out of this that involved working without any preconceived notions with new media combinations, possibly collaborations, individual and small group research. The whole point, anything and everything to shake up new ideas. So this trying to expose people to a lot of things. And I think this is very valuable because especially I see it with um, adults who come to art late in life and who don't have a lot of um, background in art. Like they've been to some museums, they've been to some shows, maybe they watch some documentaries, but there's kind of a... Um, it's not quite the range of things you're exposed to if you have studied art in college. And I always encourage people who are doing this later in life, perhaps without this extensive background, to try to, to, try to gain access to that and whatever feels right to you. Is it reading books? Is it watching uh, documentaries or other shows about art history? Um, maybe taking a night class about art history. It it's an important context, and um, yes, it's academic, uh, but I think it's a good a good grounding. Well, and I I hate to keep on relating every single thing to COVID nineteen, but it's like the canvas right now. It is. <laughs> it's just always in the background. It is. <laughs> Everything we do is built on this this kind of foundation of the current reality that we're experiencing. But if uh, if it did nothing else, it certainly shook everything up, you know? Absolutely. And, uh, and it's, the, the I mean, this is a great time to be experimenting with new things because you got no choice. You yeah. got to. <laughs> you right. Know? And it, it's also a good time to be reading and, you know, kind of looking at things that would be interesting to you, whether you have books like that right. around you or whether you order them online or whether you... Um, look at things online. Uh, there's plenty of resources out there right now. Lots of people are being quite introspective about the place of art and everything that's going on right now. Um, 
And I, I just want to finish up a couple more thoughts from Allison. She uh, emphasizes a lot of introspection and um, writing. And she said that most sustained projects that she would give her students involved journaling about the process, self-critique, or preliminary proposals in response to whatever the idea they were working with was. Um, among other questions, the proposals were often organized around the questions of what, why, and how. And she said, put why in capital letters. So that was uh, the, the conceptual aspect of things um, is always worth considering. And, in, and when you're stuck or when you're trying to find your way forward, journaling, writing, and asking yourself these questions, it can be difficult. Uh, it can be it could be its own form of getting stuck, honestly, but worth pursuing and worth uh, ruminating on, even if you're not actually writing, maybe you're taking a walk or something, and just letting things come to you that way. She um, has some exercises that were really stimulating for uh, trying new things, and one that she mentioned was uh, she was teaching figure drawing, and she said we might do 50 small drawings in 50 minutes, so very, very fast, or use a deck of playing cards torn into varying shapes for brushes with gesso and charcoal, or creating wet charcoal drawings with a spray bottle and sponges, working with three-foot sticks and ink, etc. <laughs> These are all like really loosening up ways of working. Um, she said that generated energy and new ideas and in, encouraged ideas coming from the inside the work as a process. So coming at it from this loosening up activity um, leading to ideas. And sometimes people think, well, you have to have the idea and then you find a way to express it. Well, no, it, it works both ways. You can start just by experimenting, playing around, loosening up, and see what happens. Um, so this involvement with process, with materials, this experimental attitude, and I know Allison continues this in her own work all the time. So she's she's a good role model for um, being very open to trying new materials, and um, she's always learning, and this is um, after she's retired from teaching. So the next person that I spoke with by email or texting was Lisa Pressman. Lots of people listening to this know Lisa. Um, she's quite- Friend a, of the show, Lisa. Lisa, yes. <laughs> all of these people They're are all, friends of the show. All <laughs> friends of the show. Friends of mine, friends of the show, friends of yours now. Um, and Lisa is uh, a painter whose work works mainly in encaustic and cold wax painting uh, mediums with um, special expertise, actually, in pigment sticks. She's associated with RNF pigment sticks. And she has been teaching workshops in all these things for 17 years and has been an artist for much longer than that. And she's actually currently offering um, online courses via her website. And Lisa herself is a very dynamic personality, and she emphasizes personal engagement with the work. I think she relies a lot on... Um, she emphasizes and relies a lot on intuition in both her own work and, and what she helps her students to see. But she's also very big on what I just mentioned about understanding um, your your own place in the context of art history. And she's very well known, uh, very well knowledgeable about contemporary art. And she acknowledges that it's, you know, it's just fine to have influences and we all have influences. Uh, we don't work in a bubble. But her thing is making it making it your own. 
And one of the things that Lisa is known for is what I call Lisa-isms. <laughs> Maybe other people do too. But there, she has these certain like pithy statements that um, are easy to remember, and they sum up some of her attitudes and advice. So I'm going to read you some Lisa-isms. And Lisa is from New Jersey, and I am avoiding the temptation to read these in a New Jersey accent because it would be awful. But imagine that that's going on. So one of the things she tells people, she says she got from her own professor, which is, we're not making bombs, people. <laughs> and I, I love this because it sums up this kind of um, tentative attitude that so many people have when they're in the midst of something. They don't want to wreck it. They don't want to blow up in their face, you know. And she's like, no, it's not going to blow up in your face, you know, just just go ahead. Um and that is one I have shared with my own students um, via Lisa's professor and herself. Um, another thing that is, is about process is she says, lose it and find it, lose it and find it. She says this about stencils. She says this in general, I think about um, imagery. So this, uh, the processes she works with are similar to what I do in that building up layers, tearing down layers, and also... Um, being able to cover things up, knowing that you have built this history into your work and then finding it again or finding something new. Uh, so that's very process-oriented, as are some of these other things. Like she says, don't rush the painting. Now, that's very simple, straightforward, but it is profound because that's something I, I struggle with myself, and I think a lot of people do. You're so eager to see it done, you know, and you're so maybe sometimes so tired of it. You just want it to be done. And so there's a very strong temptation to um, say, it's done. Uh, but usually if you let it sit around for a while, you realize it's not. And so that basic idea of just take your time with it. Um, and uh, addressing the frustration that... Um, people sometimes feel when they cover things up and when they feel like they've wrecked something. And and in general, like um, I had something good and now it's gone. Uh, she says, you could not be where you are if you hadn't been where you were. Uh, I think that's also in terms of your um, your history as an artist. And acknowledging- well, Very true for life in general. Life too. in general. And it's and there's so many lessons that come out of art making that do relate to life in general, and I think that's a great one. Um, so she has a couple of things that address this. Um, I don't know. People get something and they're in class, and and they're quite pleased with it, you know. And they're okay. I have figured it out. And she'll just simply say, "And now what? <laughs> like, what's next?" And or the other one is, uh, what else have you got? <laughs> it's like this constant push. And we all need that. We need that creative push to avoid being too self-satisfied. Um, I have arrived. You know, this is it. Um, what else have you got? This is something I think we all say to ourselves on some level if we keep going, if we're always trying to grow our work. And the last thing she told me was, um, walk away from the painting. <laughs> Again, very good advice, hard to follow. I find myself getting so, you know, wound up in a painting that I I really lose sight of it. And 
it really is important sometimes to just walk away, just put it away and come back to it later with fresh eyes. And so simple advice, but very useful. And I, I really think all of these um, Lisa-isms have that function. You know, they're kind of simple, simply said, but strong. Um, so thank you, Lisa, for sharing those. Um, so next, I wanted to talk about um, Jim Sherbarth, or James Edward Sherbarth, as his official name is, um, a friend in Minneapolis. And he um, has been doing his own art for about 14 years now, full-time, and teaching for eight. And Jim had, had a previous career, but turned to art after retirement. But he'd been doing some of it all along. And I asked him specifically um, about his mantra, because he has this thing he calls process, purpose, and passion. And it those three words really sum up what he's about, I think. Uh, but he, he's expanding here, so I'm going to read what he wrote to me. Um, and he said he went, he started out by talking about finding your voice, your your personal voice, your art voice. You won't find it magically one day. It will not fall from the heavens. Rather, you find it by practicing your craft and doing the work. Focus on creating your art, and your voice will reveal itself. I truly believe we each find our way by feeding our minds, hearts, and souls, and then doing the work. And I love I love that because, this is me talking now, I love that because that's so much about what we talk about here on the podcast too, this aspect of introspection, of feeding your sources. Um, and it's there's certainly a lot of art that's just about putting stuff down and seeing what happens, but there's behind it all, there's also this aspect of um, deepening your own ideas and, and what's interesting to you. So then he goes on, the direction, the voice, what you have to say will come out in the work. There are no shortcuts. Um, don't rush the work, right? My mantra is process, purpose, and passion. In a nutshell, once I've introduced the basic process and techniques, I immediately encourage students to do some introspection. I ask them to identify what interests them visually, aesthetically, what catches their eye when they're out in the world, what speaks to them emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. It all plays a part in shaping their voice. Once they can begin to articulate for themselves and to others what interests them, I suggest that those interests are a good place to work from and towards. Use that resource. Plumb the depths of those ideas, images, shapes, and colors and your style, your voice, will begin to express itself. But it only happens in the doing. And there may be a few quote-unquote wrong turns or dead ends on the journey. But as Agnes, that's, he's referring to Agnes Martin, <laughs> tells us, it all has to be done. <laughs> it's like there, there really are no shortcuts. Um, this is me speaking now, that somehow a lot of us believe there are. <laughs> Even when we're quite practiced, so we've been doing this a long time, it can be frustrating to think, oh, if I only, if I could only just codify this some way, or I had some mental shortcut, I would get to this place sooner. I think it's true that over time, you do arrive a little bit sooner at what you're going for, because you do understand it more. And that only comes because you've been doing it, you've been practicing, you've tried all kinds of things. So um, 
I I think of Jim as being very hands-on, but also quite cerebral. I mean, he gives people a lot of things to think about. And I guess the last one I want to mention is myself and and myself along with Jerry McLaughlin, because we, um, we co-teach sometimes. And we, I think we both have this emphasis on introspection and defining intentions. That's kind of one of our things as to what is important. And the things that Jim was talking about do lead to finding your intentions. I mean, try to identify what's important to you. What do you want in your work? What do you like people to take away from your work and all that sort of thing and actually writing them down, um, refining them and incorporating them. And and Jerry and I both also work with the importance of contrast. And this is something when I was talking earlier on about ideas evolving, definitely something that has evolved over time, that this importance of visual contrast and also um, contrast of meaning in terms of dualities. And this is something that I teach about, especially in my more advanced classes. Um, and we, we also, both of us tend to... Uh, have personal one-on-one time a lot with students. Sometimes this is scheduled meetings, especially in a more advanced class. Like I'll sit down with somebody for 20, 25, 30 minutes and go through their work, um, their past work, what they did before they came to class, uh, talk about, you know, what's coming through for me, what seems to be their strengths, what, you know, where they might be going with it, that sort of thing. Um, And so that's always important to me to, and to Jerry to to get to the individual and figure out how how can we help you find your way. Anyway, there's been so many podcasts up to now that have lots of my own perspective on this, so I, I guess I don't really need to go into that a lot. Um, uh, Jerry, in specific, also wanted to mention that the importance of <clears throat> excuse me developing your own vocabulary of shapes, lines, textures, values, colors, the the visual elements. These are what uh, we use to articulate what we want to say. And without them, it's like learning a new language and not having the vocabulary to say what it is that you want. So, you know, when you first learn a language, you can say, hello, how are you? But you can't talk about much more. So this importance of developing your own way of working um, becomes then a way of saying what it is you want to say. So until you get to that point, you're, you're limited by only what you have discovered so far. So a really developed visual vocabulary gives you a lot of fluency and depth. And so you can express what you want to say. So, um, that is what I got from these various people that I talked to. Uh, you probably, if you're listening to this, you may have your own favorite instructors or your own favorite things that people told you over time. Um, and I, I would kind of um, end up with a quote that has helped me more than I can say over the years that came from one of my own instructors, Andy Schaefer, at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire many years ago. And he said... Um, the more personal your work is, the more universal it is. And this, to me, opened up such a doorway because as a student, as a young person, I was striving for things that I thought would be universal, that, you know, that seemed important in capital letters, you know, that were like huge ideas. And and yet it was hard. I, I was a young person. I didn't have a lot of experience in the world. And so this idea that 
the doorway to that is personal. And if you're really being personal, sincere, honest, you are going to hit on things that are universal to other people because we do have so much in common as as human beings. And I don't, I couldn't have articulated that at the time, but some of the best advice I think is the kind of advice that over time it reveals more and more to you. And so I could think about that statement today and it would mean something different to me than it did when I was in my 20s. And this is this kind of very true nuggets of wisdom that sometimes people give you. <laughs> yeah, and and I'd like to add too, um, you know, some of the the nuggets of wisdom that I've picked up on from people who are helpful to me. Um, and uh, I, I think probably the biggest thing that has been expressed to me is that you have to get over any kind of fear of failure. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that a lot of people, when they're looking for that shortcut, um, part of what they're looking for is is to eliminate, el- eliminate the amount of time that it's going to take, which we just kind of talked about, uh, there's no, there's no way to eliminate that time. You have to put in the work. Um, but I think another part of what people are trying to avoid is failure. Ah, yeah. And it's, um, it's a, it's a very powerful fear that people have of trying and not succeeding. And I think you just got to accept that you're going to get it wrong sometimes. And, that's just part of the journey and everybody goes through it. And it's the, the people who come out in the end and, and are really successful and have great work and, and are doing great things. Um, we don't see the decades of failure that got them to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, every one of those experiences was valuable and was something that they built on. And I think that people don't appreciate how beneficial it is to fall on your face sometimes and and learn from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I think we all we all have to take risks and we have to put in the work and failure is absolutely a part of that and you have to learn to enjoy it. Well, it's <laughs> you know, kind which of sounds odd, but you have to appreciate your failures yeah. just as much as your successes because you don't get successes without failures. Well, and I think even looking at what what we think of as failure, uh, failure as a word. I mean, it's like uh, what that can just mean I tried this and it didn't work out very well. Right. Uh, rather than, um, you know, everything was just terrible because, I mean, true, there there are really traumatic failures, but there's a lot of failures that are just, I tried it, it didn't work. <laughs> and And just about anybody, right, who's accomplished anything. We'll look back and say, I tried this, I tried that, I gave up, and I, I gave up on it. I decided it wasn't right. I moved on. Um, and that's pretty constructive. Well, do you have any other final thoughts or um, did we? Uh... Yeah, I, I think uh, just to just to maybe think about some of the things that your own instructors have said that that you have kept in your mind over time, whether it was, you know, two months ago or whether it was 25, 30 years ago, the things that struck you as particularly true. And and oftentimes, honestly, people say, instructors will say things or, you know, other artists will say things that in the moment to them didn't seem that significant. 
I just said something. And I think we all have this experience of saying, oh, I remember. I, I mean, people have said to me, I remember the time you said this or that. And I'm like, oh, did I? You know, <laughs> Because people are talking out of their own experience and they're saying things that seem right in the moment. And we can remember those things for decades. Um, and it, right. I think that's so interesting the way our minds um, work like that. And sometimes what you get from other people isn't even what they say, but it's who they are. They're role models. They're they're out there. They're doing things, and they're there's something about the way they are, or maybe the way their work is that um, is also part of this whole thing of what they're telling you. They may not be telling you that in words. So anyway, I just I hope that this little um, peek into the minds of some art instructors I know has been um, helpful. Well, that just about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. For more from The Messy Studio, please check out www.messystudiopodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. For more from Rebecca Kroll, please check out www.rebeccacroll.com and www.squeegeepress.com and sign up for the email lists to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. The Messy Studio Podcast is a core publication management production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.